be in the book of Psalm, chapter 2 this morning. If you want to turn in your Bibles there, I wanted to uh, speak with you from that verse or chapter today. We're going to have to cover this in two messages, so if you're going to get the second part, you'll have to come tonight. Part 2 starts at 6 o'clock. We are... Huh? Get to come tonight. There you go, brother. Not have to, but get to. Um, this, as I mentioned last week with Psalm chapter 1, it was kind of a gateway into the book of Psalm. This chapter also deals with that entrance into the entire book of Psalm. The first chapter, we got to contrast between the righteous and the wicked. And in this chapter, chapter 2, we get to contrast between the king and the men of the world. Uh, I say this phrase I put on the screen many times about it is not falling apart, it's falling into place. And, and that's what I want you to see tonight. I, I got that picture up there uh, showing Israel the wailing wall that you see there on the right, and then you see the dome of the rock, which is the Muslim uh, church. I don't even think they call it a church. What do they call their buildings? A mosque. There we go. It's a Muslim mosque there in, in Jerusalem. And that's actually the place where the temple will be built. Uh, how all of that comes about, everybody speculates, but nobody really knows, all right? Uh, but we do believe that that is where the temple was constructed, Solomon's temple and Herod's temple, and now we will see a new temple rebuilt there as Jesus makes his kingdom in, in this world. The poet Robert Browning said this, God is in heaven and all is well on the earth. I don't know what earth he was living on, but he is not right, is he? The first part is correct. God is in heaven. But if he was living in the same world we're living in, it wasn't recently. And we see our world drastically changing day by day. Uh, I, I'm sure many of you have even... Uh, stopped watching the news because you get so disappointed in what's happening all over the world. And I'm that way. I, I don't want to watch it anymore. I, I, I see, I watch the new local news for the weather, uh, and maybe a little bit of sports, and that's about all I want to see about the news. Uh, even our local stations seem to be turning leftist, if that's a word we can understand. And so I'm discouraged about all that I see in the world. And I, I know that uh, the reason for that is what I want to talk about today. Uh, how many of you know what uh, the term biblical worldview means? Uh, if you don't know what that means, there is a biblical worldview and then there is a non-biblical worldview. Uh, a Christian worldview and a non-Christian worldview. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning and this evening. Uh, the two worldviews and how we find those in the book of Psalm. Let's talk about truth. The reason that we get so discouraged about reading the news and watching the news is because we're seeing truth, what you and I call truth, God's truth, biblical truth. We see that being cast aside. And we shouldn't be and probably aren't surprised to see the world doing that. But when we see our own nation where we live every day doing that, then it becomes discouraging and we are surprised by it. And that's exactly what Psalm chapter 2 is 
addressing? Is the world casting aside the truth of God and abandoning it and taking up their own truth and their own agenda and their own idea? Now, if you and I today were to go to the east or west coast, and it seems to be squeezing in uh, to the central states even more, if we got up and stood in public and started announcing the truth of God, just openly speaking truth to the world that we live in, we would be attacked, wouldn't we? We would be ridiculed, we'd be mocked, we would be uh, persecuted because we're not supposed to rock the boat. We're not supposed to criticize someone else's lifestyle. We're not supposed to let those things take place. And you and I are now are seen as intolerant and we're seen as bigots because we stand on God's truth. And so there is truth in the reality of that. And then there is man-made truth and uh, the reality of that as well, which it's not real, uh, but it's a reality because men today are trying to create that truth. You and I did not design truth. We didn't come up with truth. This was around long before you and I were born, right? God's written word, God's spoken word, and God's living word are all truth. And it's been around since the beginning of creation. And so we didn't come up with it, but for some reason men want to push it aside and reject it. And we can understand why, because uh, God's truth requires holiness. God's truth requires devotion to him. God's truth requires righteousness. And so the world doesn't want to fit into that mold. So they've come up with their own. But now they want you and I to fit their mold. So there's a, a distinction that has to be made between uh, the Christian life and the worldly life or the fleshly life or the American life, right? Let me tell you, parents, if you allow your TVs and your computers and you go to movies that have all of this immorality in it, it will affect your children. Amen. You've got to draw a line in the sand somewhere. You've got to draw a line in your life and the life of your family. You've got to make a determination how far you will allow this to go and don't go any farther. What's happening is truth is being abandoned right in our country, right in our schools, right in our families, even in our churches. Truth is being abandoned. So we have to make a determination this morning how far I'm going to let that go in my family and then I'm going to make a mark and I'm not going to let it go beyond that. Amen? Amen. You know, that's called the remnant. There's a remnant that God mentions throughout the scriptures. And in the end, there will be a remnant that stands with him, right? Now, we can dabble in the uh, occult. We can dabble in immorality. And, man, it will take you down quicker than you ever imagined. But if you draw that line in your life and you don't step over it, right, then you'll be part of that remnant. And that's what I hope that you gather from the message today, that we either submit to God's truth or we're broken by it. You either submit to the truth of God or he will break you by it. The challenge is for you and I to renew our passion for God's truth today. So let's stand together and let's read Psalm chapter 2 
And let's begin in verse 1, and we're only going to read about four verses. All right, the Bible says in verse 1, Why are the nations in an uproar, and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. Verse 3, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Let's pray together. Lord, bless your word, Father, for us today. And Lord, I pray that you speak to every heart that's in this room and help us to make the distinction in our life of how far you want us to go. And then draw that line and not step over it ever again. Keep us faithful, God. Only you can do that. I pray you accomplish that in this room today with these hearts. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. It says that the nations are in an uproar. So in order for you and I to understand the biblical worldview, we first really need to know what it means to understand the non-biblical worldview. And in our text right here this morning, we, we find that, the non-Christian worldview, verses 1 and 2. Let's read those again. The nations are in an uproar, and the peoples devising a vain thing. The kings of the earth take their stand, against, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. We know who the anointed is. That's the Messiah. So they're taking a stand against God and His Son, Jesus Christ. What is a worldview? If I could explain it to you, I'll try. It's kind of like the way you see the world through glasses that are made up of Scripture. It's your idea of this world and your life as you look at it through the Bible, right? That, that's, a, that's a biblical worldview. A non-biblical or non-Christian worldview looks at the world and life with no parameters, nothing to guide, nothing to establish, nothing to correct, nothing to encourage. Just whatever comes, comes, and whatever I want to do, I do. However I feel, I feel, and I have no law, no regulations, no encouragement or anything to follow i just look at life in front of me right you and i don't look like that i hope you don't look like that we look at life through the scripture that's a biblical worldview so you can understand the difference a, a non-biblical worldview would take all of my thoughts and i would put them into a grid Right, a, 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 like a puzzle piece, and I would put my thoughts into that, my ideas, my philosophy, my beliefs. And as long as they fit into this grid that I've come up with in my mind, that's how I see life. And so what's happening today and what God predicts will happen more and more is that the world is looking at life opposed from God. When I was a young boy, and even a young man, I remember uh, that everybody respected the church. Everybody even respected God. And you could go door to door in our community right here, 
and you'd probably never get the door shut in your face. Even though they didn't believe or didn't receive what you were saying, they were respectful. Amen? But we don't see that today. Today, the church is despised. And the church is ridiculed in our society. And the church is, become, is under attack. And let me tell you something. It's going to get worse. And it's going to increase. The Bible tells us so. But you and I have to make a determination in my life. How far will I go in my life and with my family beyond this line? Don't go beyond it. Make that righteous decision in your life. And this is what I want to share with you today. Unfortunately, in our society, the media, the university, the government agencies, our neighbors, and even some of our family are looking at the world through a non-Christian worldview. They don't see God in anything. They don't see His glory, His righteousness, His end, His judgment, His Son. They don't see that. They just see the life they want to see. And guess what? They're trying to pound it into you and me. Right? I got a granddaughter. Gail and I got a granddaughter we're dealing with. Man, this girl is stubborn and hard-headed. She's a teenager. And now that explains it. But I want you to understand that it, it worries us. Why she thinks like that and why she looks at life like that. She knows better. At least we thought that she knew better. But... We're struggling with that. I'm sure each of you sitting here would agree that you have somebody in your family that looks at life through a non-Christian view. Amen? So what do we do about it? Well, the non-Christian worldview is in contrast to the Christian worldview. The biblical worldview, we make all of our assumptions about life rooted in this right here. Right? We don't make a determination apart from this. We don't want to make a decision about life away from God's Word because we look at life having its root and existence in the Word of God. That's a Christian way of looking at the world. We trust in God's truth. When we look in His Word, we discover how relationships are supposed to work. We discover how we are to treat our family and how to bring them up. We discover how we associate with our fellow employees and our boss at our workplace. We understand how we're to react at work and, and out in public. We do that all from looking at Scripture and reading it. We have our political views, amen, from rooted in the Bible. As we look at life through a Christian worldview, we look at social and moral issues through the lens of God's Word. That's the Christian worldview. This view it does things for us. It shapes our thinking. It sharpens our discernment. And it satisfies our deepest need. Now you're going to ask me, Brother Clay, what has all this got to do with Psalm chapter 2? I'm glad you asked. Okay? I'm glad that you asked. Because in the first two verses we see the non-Christian worldview. They want to cast off God. Let's tear their fetters. What are fetters? Things that bind us, hold us. They want to tear those off. Fetters of love from God. 
They want to tear that off and they want to destroy their relationship with God and they want to get rid of Him. They want to rule out His counsel. They want no part to do with God, a non-Christian worldview. Guess what? This was started with Eve in the Garden of Eden. It goes all the way back to then and it comes all the way forward to this right now. And guess what? The writer of Psalm 2, we know to be David, not from Psalm 2, but from Acts chapter 4. We know David wrote it. And he says, I am amazed. I am astonished. I am surprised. What is wrong with this world? And we thought, man, if only David lived today. But he says, I am amazed at what this world is thinking about God, how it is rejecting God, how it is turning away from God. He goes on to say, why are the nations in an uproar? That word uproar means chaos. We just sang a song. Who turns our chaos into order? God, right? It says right here, why are the nations in an uproar? Why are they in chaos? It also says in that verse, and the peoples devising a vain thing. If you took your Greek or Hebrew concordance and you found the number for devising, and then you went back to chapter 1 in verse 2 and you looked at the word meditates, they were the same Hebrew word. But our English translators made them two different words for us. Meditating or devising. The same thought, right? You devise things, you think about them, you meditate on them. Why are the people meditating on abandoning God and His truth? And David even calls it a vain thing, an empty thing. David says it's like an ant attacking an elephant. Why is the world turning against the Creator God? It's a hopeless to try to overpower him and to overcome him, to change his way, to change his truth. What is wrong with these people? Have you ever thought about that watching the news? What is wrong with these people? I'll tell you what's wrong. They want to cast off God. They don't want his rule in their life. They don't want him to be a part of their life. They have a non-Christian view of life. And that's what they want, and that's how they live, and that's what they desire. David is surprised by this. Are we? Are we surprised that people would react the way that people react today about God and truth? You know, Barna, George Barna, the Christian researcher for surveys, he did this survey recently, and he said this in his article, 4%. Four out of a hundred Americans have a biblical world view. Four out of you see the world through the lens of Scripture. Well, let me rephrase that. Three of you, because I do. Three of you look at the world and life through the lens of this. Now, I know better than that, but you understand his survey was all people. That's a terrible number. 
four out of 100 Americans look at life through the lens of Scripture. Now we can see why a little young woman's class in Atlanta could meet together every Wednesday evening for tea and they could determine that homosexual relationships and marriages are okay. That's in a church. Now we can understand why an Episcopal archdiocese in Northeast United States would ordain an openly gay priest to the cheer of the crowd. Now we can see why that is, right? Four out of a hundred view life through the lens of Scripture. Now we can see why a pastor in Dallas can be removed from his church for having sexual immoral relationships and the next Sunday he starts another church with hundreds of parishioners there to worship God with him. You see, now we can understand why people reject and remove God and they claim Christ. Now we would be surprised, and I am, to watch the news and see the West and the East Coast acting and doing what they do. I'm surprised, but I should be astonished to see Christian people doing the same thing. Amen? Do you understand that? When the church looks like the world, you and I have lost our influence. Why would anybody want to come to a church that does exactly what the world is doing? You remember why I got discouraged about False Creek? You know, Gail and I have a, 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 a will and we went through the Baptist Foundation, and they, they helped us write our will, and they did it for free uh, if we would leave part of our estate to a Baptist cause. So Gail and I left 10% of whatever uh, we have when we die went to False Creek. We made that determination several years ago. Well, the last few times I went to False Creek, I was thinking, man, this, something's changing here. Something's not right. Something's happening here. False Creek is trying to accommodate these kids as they come in, and the Christian influence there has diminished. Why? Because it's looking like the world. I believe, and it's of my opinion, that those kids need a place different than where they live and different than where they grow up. They need a holy place, a righteous place where they can go and see how a Christian lives and how a Christian behaves and how a Christian looks and talks. But they're not getting that now. And so you know what Gail and I did? We took our... 10% away from that, and we gave it to Cross Timbers, the children's camp at False Creek. It's not even False Creek, it's called Cross Timbers, right? They're doing it right. They are doing it correctly. They're giving those kids a place that's different than home. We don't accommodate the world. We're not to accommodate the world when they come in here. We are to give them truth and holiness, and a separation from where they come from. Amen? Don't, don't bring the world in here so that they're comfortable when they come in. I want them to be wiggling the whole time they're in here. 
I want the Holy Spirit to be moving on them and changing their life. Don't make them feel at home and serve them donuts and coffee and come in and hear a nice, pleasant message about how good you are. No. People's lives need to be changed. People's hearts need to be moved. And we don't accommodate. Did God accommodate the Israelites when they came out of Egypt and they said, we want water and we want food and we want this and we want that and the God of heaven comes running down with his waitress pad and he takes all their orders so that he can fill them. That's not what happened, is it? God came down in his holiness and a thundering voice and the people shrank back. And he said, this is how it is. This is truth. Now you either change to fit it or it will break you. And that's what the world needs to hear. And that's what the world needs to know. Why haven't they known that in the last hundred years? Because the church has failed. The church has become the world. And the world has moved into the church and now we are no different than the outside. No influence do we have. Yet we love God. I know you love God. I know that. But don't allow the world in your life. Don't allow the world to put you in its mold. Don't allow the world to change you. We are to change the world. What did it say on the back of your bulletin? These men who have turned the world upside down are here. Amen? You see that? That's what we are to do, is to turn this world upside down. Hey, we should be surprised when the world acts like it acts, but we should be astonished when the church acts like the world. And that's what is happening, and that's what God is going to fix this morning and for the rest of time, I hope, in your life and mine as well. Now, let's talk about the people who are in an uproar. Verse 2, and the kings of the earth and the rulers take counsel. These aren't a couple of renegades. These are men of authority. These are men in influence. These are the top of the top. Even Herod and Pilate joined forces against Jesus. We read that in Acts chapter 4 in Peter's message. And he quotes from Psalm chapter 2, and he talks about the rulers being Peter, uh, being a, a Herod and Pilate, joining forces, two enemies coming together against God. And that's what Psalms 2 says, the world will come together against God. We know that day's coming. We talked about it in my Sunday school class, the, the day of Armageddon, the battle of Armageddon, amen? When Peter and John were arrested and they were taken in and they were whipped and they were jailed and they were released and they said, don't speak his name anymore. Peter said, I, I can't do that. How can I not speak the name of the greatest thing that ever happened to me? Don't quote that, that's Brother Clay's paraphrase, amen? So, what happened? If Peter and John had been worshiping over here underground in their closet, let's meet together and have Bible study. Let's sing, but let's sing under our breath. Now, I'm not saying that that shouldn't happen, okay? Because it does happen today, and people will be killed if they're caught. But Peter and John lived their belief. And they spoke their belief. 
and they loved their belief. Therefore, they were persecuted for their belief. If they'd done it in secret, nobody would have persecuted them. Nobody would have known the difference. Nobody would have cared. But because they got up and spoke in the square, in the temple, because they brought out the truth, because they stood on God's word, then they were attacked and persecuted, right? What does Timothy tell us? Paul tells us through Timothy, he says, anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. When's the last time you got persecuted? When's the last time somebody spoke down to you about your faith? Think about it. Have you been silent to the point that nobody even knows you're a Christian? Do the guys at work know you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the creator of all things? Do they know that? You ladies, do the people at the, at the ladies at the hair nail shop, do they know that you are a follower of Almighty God? Or is it just silently going by day by day, not ruffling any feathers, not rocking the boat? Is that how you're living? You see, that's what happens to the church. We shut our mouths. The world moves in. And all we think about is getting out of here and going home. When there's hundreds, hundreds of thousands of people dying to hell every single day. Man, don't get in that kind of camp where you don't care about the souls of men. Think about it, church. Do what God wants you to do. Become that type of person. Start looking at the world through God's eyes and not the world's eyes. The world thinks that God's law is a bondage. There's no freedom in it. You and I know better than that. The world doesn't want to repent or submit to God, but you and I know better than that. Scripture teaches devotion to God and God alone. Scripture teaches me that Jesus Christ is the pearl of great price and that I need to find Him and hang on to Him. But the world doesn't believe that. The world doesn't want that. The Bible teaches that once I put my hand to the plow, I shouldn't look back. The Bible teaches that I cannot serve God and material mammon. Amen? But the world wants both. The world wants this. The world wants that. That's the message that the world has been rejecting, that the gospel stifles life, they say. And now this has seeped into the church, and now for most Christians, God is simply a nurse who runs with a Band-Aid when they fall down and get hurt. And God is so much more than that, my friends. The world devises ways to cast off the gospel and the holiness that it brings What does the church do? We accommodate that. We welcome people in. We don't want them to be uncomfortable. We don't want them to be changed, but we do. We must. We must not allow them to squeeze us into their mold. How do they cast off? How does the world cast off God? Number one, they do it by... Russell, can you move that slide for me? They move it by the destruction of truth or the destruction of God's Word. The next one, brother. I lost my brain somewhere around here. Throw it at me. Whew, I'm glad I I'm glad I caught my brain. Okay. Uh, right here. No, that's not far enough. Okay. We'll go back. 
the non-Christian worldview. They, dis- they cast off God's truth by the destruction of authority, right? They do this at the home, the classroom. You've seen it on TV. Nobody's got respect for authority anymore. Nobody's got respect for law enforcement. Nobody's got respect for the church. Nobody's got respect for government. You know what? Since 1965, violent crime has increased 550%. Since 1965, teenage arrests have increased 150%. Since 1965, illegal drug use has increased 6,000%. Since 1965, the birth to unwed mothers has increased 500%. Since 1965, 30 million abortions in the United States alone. God forgive us. 30 million children have been aborted in this country alone. Man, what is going on? The world wants to cast off the love and authority of God. All of this... All of these statistics I share with you are all rooted in the abandonment of truth and authority of God's Word. The world cast off God by destroying authority. The second way they do that is by rejection of sexual boundaries. Amen? If there was on TV in 1958 when I was born what's on TV today, my dad would have thrown that thing out the window. Amen. But today we sit and watch it. You can't do that, church, and think it won't affect you and it won't affect your children because it does. Even the shows we laugh at and the little sitcoms, they all got their little twist about sexual immorality in them. It will affect your family. You got to make a determination today what you're going to do and where that line's going to be in your life and don't allow it to happen to you. The third thing they do to remove the authority or the, the casting off of God is they remove personal holiness. Right? I told you that. You and I know that holiness is a mark of a Christian. And yet we try to look like the world. Why? So we can fit in or so we can have influence. We fit, I think we do it so that we can have an inside track so we can become friends so that we can have an influence with them. And that's all good and proper if that's the course of action that's taken. But what typically happens is that they don't change, you change. You don't influence them, they influence you. Because it's much easier to drift away from God. None of us drift towards Him. None of us go towards Him. We all drift away. And we try to have influence with the world and looking like them, becoming like them, talking like them. Hey, Jesus didn't do that. He was known as a friend of sinners, but he went in among them and he didn't change one iota in his life, did he? He didn't accommodate them. He told them the truth. And most of them would walk out. Most of them called him intolerant, a bigot, blasphemous. We must take action. We must be conscious of the world's influence in our life and in our family. Stand strong, the Bible says. Be firm. Pray hard. Repent of the non-biblical worldview ways that we're living. Repent of them. Stop doing them. I know I painted a grim picture for you this morning. 
a non-Christian way of looking at the world. I pray that most of you are not, I pray all of you are not, I pray most of you are not looking at life through that lens. Now let's look at some encouragement. Fix your mind on God. Look at verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Right? We can watch television and be discouraged or we can read our Bibles and be encouraged. Heaven is not shaken by what's taking place in this world today. Right? God hears their plans. God knows their schemes. He's fully aware of everything that's going on. The world against God would be like your little two-year-old grandson running towards you and attacking you and bouncing off and hitting the ground. And what do you do when that happens? You laugh at him. Not out of shame, but you laugh at the little powerless effort that he makes to attack his grandpa and bounces and hits the ground on the floor. That's what God's doing in heaven. He's not thinking this is funny. God is not laughing at it because it's funny to him. God's laughing at it because it's a puny effort of man to cast off the creator God and think they can get away with it and think that they can do something separate from him and do something about it. It's no way that can happen. It's impossible. Heaven is not moved. Heaven is not shaken Heaven does not change. The Lord does not wait for man's approval. Okay? Fix my mind on God. That's how I can overcome a non-biblical worldview. Put my mind on God. Be in His Word. Listen to preaching on the radio. Good preaching. Amen? Now, I want to say this. God is not, uh, does not need man's approval. Our president is elected, and what does he do? He appoints cabinet members, and then he has to sit and wait for the Senate to approve them. Our president is the most powerful man on this planet. I know you know that. The president of the United States for years has always been the most powerful man on the planet, and yet he has to wait for the approval of others before he can form his cabinet and move forward. Or, in this case, backwards. But, sorry about that. Uh, so, today, God does not have to wait on our approval. There's nobody in the world that God waits for. God determines when, what, how, and where. Just like I shared with you earlier about the Israelites coming out of Egypt. God doesn't wait on their approval God does what God does when God desires to do it. And so, God does not need to accommodate the world. God does not need to wait on the world. The world will wait on God. Here's what Henry Law said about this. God may be long silent, but that patience is not exemption from judgment. Peter says in his letter, the people cry out, where is your God? Why hasn't he shown up? And Peter says, he's being patient with you because he doesn't want anyone to perish. You see, God doesn't wait on the world. God does it when his timing is right and when he wants to do it. When God came down 
there was thunder and lightning and fire and holiness. And let me tell you, this is how the church needs to act. I thought about this the other day. I had this dream, and it was after preaching last Sunday's message about how blessed is the man who does not walk with the wicked and sit with the sinner and, and, and counsel with the ungodly. And I had this dream that I was at a show, and the people were attacking Christianity, and I was there to defend it. Now, what a silly dream that was. But in this dream, I stood up in this crowd of haters and people casting off God, and I said, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. And they all got quiet. How blessed is the man who does not do this, but the wicked are not so. Man, if you think that you can change God in His ways to fit you, you are sadly mistaken. God's truth must be lived by us, or it will break you. It will bring you down. It will crush you. It will destroy you. We read about it in Revelation. Mankind is crushed under the truth of God. Today you have a chance to change your destiny and your life and your path by surrendering to the Creator, God, who gave His life for you and loves you to the utmost. Don't cast Him off. Take Him on and learn more of Him. Live for Him. Don't let your mind get mumbled up in the trash of this world. Social media, throw it out. Television, if you have to, throw it out. Jesus said it's better to enter into heaven with one eye than to enter into hell with both. If your eye's causing you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand's causing you to sin, cut it off. Whatever you've got to do, take measures, church, to live the life of truth. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you. I pray, Father, that you instill in us a desire for your truth and your holiness today. And, Lord, I pray that you give us the courage. It takes courage, Lord. I know that. It takes strength to overcome the world. It takes power. And Jesus Christ and your Holy Spirit supply all of that to anyone who asks to overcome their addictions, to overcome their problems, to overcome their sin, to turn away from it. I pray today that you empower every heart in this room to make a decision for you and to follow through with it, God, to give you their life and their heart, to serve you fully from this moment on with every breath that we breathe. Let us praise you, God. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.